Welcome to Anxiety Slayer. I'm Shan Vanderleek. This episode is brought to you by the Anxiety Slayer First Responder Series, a supportive health anxiety course to help you feel better because worrying about your health can rob you of precious time and peace of mind. In this course, we respond to health anxiety challenges with step-by-step teachings, tools, and techniques to help you overcome health anxiety and calm your precious mind. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Eric Zimmer, a dad, serial entrepreneur, podcast host, behavior coach, and author. Eric is endlessly inspired by the quest for a greater understanding of how our minds work and how to intentionally create the lives we want to live. At the age of 24, Eric was homeless, addicted to heroin, and facing long jail sentences. In the years since, He's found a way to recover from addiction and build a life worth living for himself. He currently hosts the award-winning podcast, The One You Feed, based on an old parable about two wolves at battle within us. And with over 200 episodes and 10 million downloads, the show features conversations with experts across many fields of study about how to create a life worth living. His story and his work have been featured in the media, including TEDx, Mind Body Green, Elephant Journal, the BBC, and Brain Pickings. Hi, Eric. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer. Hi, Shan. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, I'm so glad you're here today. Let's begin our conversation. At the point in your story where you climbed out of the darkness from addiction and despair to become the healthy and successful man you are today. <laughs> well, Yes. So yeah, that was um, my recovery from addiction is interesting because I got sober from heroin at the age of 24 and uh, I stayed sober for about nine years. And then I drank again for a couple of years. And then I've been sober from that for about another 13 years now. So there's kind of two recovery stories bundled into one there. But the first one, yeah, I mean, it's you kind of read it in the description, but I was in pretty bad shape. I was homeless. Um, I was in a lot of trouble with the law. I was really, really sick. I had hepatitis C. I weighed about 100 pounds. I was just, I was in bad, bad shape. You know, I ended up walking into a detox center basically because I was out of ideas at the moment. Not really this intention, like I'm going to clean up my life and everything's going to be great. It was really like, okay, I just got arrested and... I don't have any money. I just didn't have anything anywhere else to go. So I went to that detox center. And while I was there, they said, you should really go into the 28-day treatment program. And I thought, no way. I'm not going into a 28-day treatment program. And so I said no. And then I went back to my my room there. And I just had one of those, I guess they call moments of clarity. I am going to die if I go back out there. Or at the very least, I'm going to go to jail for a long time. And so I made it... an agreement in that moment that I would go into the longer term recovery. And that was really the beginning of that recovery. And I just sort of threw myself into recovery and became willing to kind of do everything that was suggested of me at that point. I had been in treatment before and I would, I was very much pick and choose like, well, that sounds like I want to do that. And I don't really want to do that. And that's too difficult. And so I, you know, I would pick and choose, but, but that time I just said, you know what, Whatever, whatever this is going to take, I'm, I'm willing to do just because I had seen, I had a clear vision of just how bleak things were. Right. 
Wow. And, and what a blessing to be able to see it because you're here today because you did. Yes, I think it is a great blessing. And I, I do not understand what causes some people to be able to get sober and others don't. I have lots of people I know, friends who are not alive anymore. I don't begin to understand the mechanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am grateful that whatever the mechanism is, it worked in me. So take me to that point where you decided, yeah, I can probably drink alcohol. And then decided that that probably wasn't the best move either. Yeah. So I'd been sober eight or nine years and I had really, I mean, I had really thrown myself into recovery and, you know, done a lot of good work. I had been through a fair amount of therapy to sort of deal with a lot of what might've preceded the addiction. I was very successful in a career wise. I was making good decisions about exercising and I had a son and I was taking care of my son. I had gone through a divorce a couple of years before, and that was really, really painful and really difficult and in that moment, I had sort of started to pull away from recovery. I had had a very, when I got, when I got into recovery, it was a 12-step program. And the idea was, you know, God is what gets you sober. Yeah, that's a very simplistic understanding. Okay, sure. That's the one I had. And it was, you've got to believe in God, which I didn't really, but I said, you know what? I have to, I have to. So I sort of made this thing up for myself and it worked. It got me sober. But when that divorce happened, I realized I didn't have any authentic spiritual life. My spiritual life was very, very shallow. It was some version of if I do a lot of good things, then good things will happen to me. And when something really bad happened to me, you know, my, my divorce, you know, my wife left me at that point for another man who had been in AA, who was a friend of mine. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So I kind of fell apart, but I stayed sober through it. But what happened was that, that connection to to my recovery really frayed. And I had gotten to the point where I was very, very sort of self-centered. I was very focused on me mm-hmm. better. You know, it just, I had gotten away from the principles of recovery and was sort of living me and me was doing okay in a lot of ways. But what happened is I just hit a point where I, where I thought, started to think about, well, maybe I could drink. You know, I look back, I was like, well, you know, I was so young then, you know, done all this recovery work, of course doing, I mean, I was doing heroin. That's a terrible idea. Like you should never do that. Of course it was a problem. And I somehow just got the idea that drinking would be okay. Um, And then I found out actually my brother who had been in recovery a little bit less time than me, he said he had been drinking again and everything was fine. And so that was sort of the final thing for me. I was like, oh, I don't even have it genetically. Look. And so I started to drink again and lo and behold, nothing catastrophic happened at first. I had sort of built it up in my mind. You know, I think a lot of times in recovery, we say things like, if I drank, if I took one drink again, I'd be out on the street shooting dope in 10 minutes. Well, that didn't happen. So that was the next level of like, see, it's not all that bad. But eventually, over a period of a couple of years, my drinking got bad. Now, my external consequences were not at all what they were before. I had just gotten uh, a new job. And I was making more money than I'd ever made before. You know, lots of things were looking okay. But what I knew was inside, I could feel that I was every bit as out of control as I had been when I was addicted to heroin. The only difference was the circumstances around me. And I knew that bad things were coming. It was inevitable the way I was living, the things I was doing, 
something bad was going to happen. And so I, I took advantage of a particularly low point where there was a lot of pressure on me to do something different. And I said, you know what? All right, that's it. I'm going to go to AA. And, and I went back. It was a lot harder because it was much more of an intellectual experience. The first time I had been so thoroughly beaten. Sure. The second time I hadn't, but I had to just sort of keep saying to myself, do I really have to take this elevator down another level, another level, another level, or can I just get off now? Thankfully, I was able to do that. But boy, it was a lot. The second time was a lot harder. So, but that's 13 years ago. So, so here I am. I have. Right. Well, congratulations on uh, 13 years later and, and everything that you're, you're doing and what you've made of your life now and the, um, the beauty to be a father to a child and to a, now a young man, I believe, did you say you had a son? Yeah, he's in college. Yeah. To get to show up for him from this place of understanding and of making a choice to do exactly what you needed to do to heal and to continue to heal because obviously recovery is a lifetime it's a lifetime thing it's a another you know every choice you make to to stay healthy and to stay in that space uh, i commend you for that for sure yeah thank you yeah you're welcome i'd love it if you could share the parable of the one you feed it's it's one of my favorites and one of the first lessons i taught my daughter when she was young so when uh, when we found you uh, for this podcast and for this conversation, I thought, oh, great, let's let's share this with our listeners and teach them how they can learn to feed the wolf in themselves who is healthy, productive, and thriving. Yeah, well, I mean, I had first heard that parable early in my first recovery, and it spoke so strongly to me. And I think the thing about a good parable is that it, it's instantly obvious on one level what it's saying, but it also bypasses the brain and hits on a deeper level. And, and it certainly did that for me. So the parable uh, goes like this. It says there's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness, bravery, and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and thinks about it for a second and looks up at his grandfather and says, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. Hmm. So that's the parable. And obviously you can substitute grandmother and granddaughter and all that, which I actually sure. show from time to time just to mix it up a little bit because this really isn't a grandfather to grandson kind of thing. But again, immediately upon hearing it, you sort of go, ah, it, you know, it, it makes intuitive sense. It really does. And, and going back to uh, to sharing this with with my daughter when she was young, it was probably not more than a month ago that she had made a decision and then changed her mind and then referred back to this very parable. And I thought, oh, how cool is you know, how cool a parenting moment of, oh, that's so great that she's thinking that way. You know, which choice is going to serve me best uh, for for the long haul? definitely a, a beautiful way to stop and check yourself. Yes. It's, it's a very sort of effective, uh, again, it just sort of points to that, you know, life is a series of choice points. Mm -hmm. 
you know, those choices have consequences and implications. And yeah, I, the other thing I like about the parable, we get a lot of people on, I start every podcast off by asking people what that parable means to them. And, you know, I've interviewed over 250 people at this point. And so, you know, everybody's got a slightly different answer, but a real common answer that people say is, well, I like the parable, but I don't really like that it talks about having to to get rid of your bad wolf. It, we have these other we have these sides of us that aren't always wonderful and we can't just shun those and and lock them away and and the thing that I love about the parable it doesn't say anything about doing that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Negative emotions are not these things that have to be shut away and 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 shut down or starved. There is a there is a place to to engage with all of that. I think it just, what I like about it is it just points to, you know what, just give a little bit more attention to what's good in you. If Mm. we have all this in us, give more attention to what's good in you. The other thing I really love about the parable is it sort of normalizes that we all have this going on, that we all have these struggles, these challenges, these, these positive thoughts, these actions we want to take that are that are positive, these actions we want to take that might be seen as negative, that that's the human condition. And I love that the parable normalizes that and that we all have this. And so I think that's another great part of it is it, it just makes it clear that this is part of what being human is. And your work with your coaching clients and throughout your experience uh, working with this parable, how do you best recommend that people learn to start feeding the wolf inside of themselves who is healthy? Well, I think it it depends on what your personal interior landscape looks like. You know, one of the things that I found for me is that feeding my good wolf is a lot of very mundane things. Things like, you know, exercising, eating well, meditation has become important to me, being kind to people that are around me, working hard at whatever it is I've chosen to work at. You know, so there's a lot of these little actions. So we really, you know, with people I'm working on in behavior coaching sense, we sort of look at that. Most of us these days, if we listen to shows like yours or mine, we know, we know lots of things. I should do this. I should do that. You know, it's healthy if I do this, it's healthy. But a lot of times we don't do it because it's hard to do sometimes. And so that's really what the focus of the behavioral coaching is, is like, Mm. okay, you have a sense of what you should be doing, but you're not. Let me help you sort of do that. Incorporate those things into your life in a way that actually sticks and you stay with over a long period of time. Because we've got such a, most of us have such a history of starting a healthy behavior or, or stopping an unhealthy behavior and doing okay for a short time and then right back into it. And, and we develop these stories about ourselves that say things like, I'm the kind of person who starts things but never finishes them. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just undisciplined because I can never stick with any of this. So since we develop these identities about ourselves, it's important to learn the skills of change. And we really can change. It's a skill. And that's a lot of what I work with people on is learning the skills to enable them to be able to change. You know, most of our listeners are living with anxiety and post-traumatic stress. And one of the top issues is that they suffer with is health anxiety. I'd love to know what some of your most supportive practices for people who are really suffering with their minds 
you know, what, what might they be able to start doing today, listening into us to kind of shift things? Well, you know, I, I always am careful with things like, you know, uh, trauma or deep depression or anxiety to, to say like, you know, I, I don't, I can't fix all of that. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not trained to do all of that, but I'm someone who has dealt with pretty serious depression throughout my life. And I, and I know a lot of people who have, and, you know, my approach to that stuff is really to kind of throw the kitchen sink at it. You know, that's kind of what I say about (laughs) We agree. (laughs) Go in and get a medicine from my doctor and that might be really helpful. And it has been for me that I have, I have gotten great benefit from that, but that was never enough for me. If I just did that, what I got was a minor, perhaps alleviation of my symptoms, but I didn't go from being depressed to being healthy. I just was slightly less depressed. So for me, it really became about lots of other things. And I I sort of named three of them that I really wish these weren't things that were important and helpful because they're kind of a drag to do sometimes exercise, eating well, and, and meditation for me. Those are three sort of core practices that really make a big difference in my life. And I can just tell how well I'm doing. Often I'll find myself feeling kind of low and down and I'll look and go, how have I been doing with that stuff? And I look back and go, not very well. Right. Um, those things are, you know, at the very least, I think, you know, we are, we are animals at some level, right? Our physical body is important. And if we're not, if we're not taking care of ourselves physically, we're going to feel like crap in some way. I'm not quite sure what your flavor of feeling like crap might look like. Might be depression, might be anxiety, might be lethargy, might be a combination of all those things. But we're animals and this physical body needs tended and it, it has a big impact. Now, I don't say that, oh, if you just exercise and eat right and meditate for 10 minutes a day, all your mental health problems will go away. I don't think that's true. So, for some people, it is. Right. For some people, it is. But for other people, it's not. But I always believe it's a part of what we do. And then there's, you know, meaningful connection with other people you know, not being alone in whatever it is you're suffering through, having people that you can, you can talk to. I think finding things to do in life that we enjoy is really important. Looking for activities that legitimately make us feel better. A lot of us, we just, our leisure is, um, it's kind of cotton candy entertainment, right? It tastes good for a second, but then, you know, an hour later, you're like, oh, why did I do that? You know, so much of our of our entertainment is that way because it's easy, right? We're we're tired. You know, you work a full day, you're tired. You take care of kids, you're tired. It just feels easier just to pick up the phone and scroll through Facebook than it does to pick up some hobby that you enjoy. So I don't pretend that this stuff is easy to do, particularly if you're dealing with anxiety or depression. These things that are so good for you can be so hard to do. Yeah. And you know, I think. But I think finding a way to do it, finding support. I mean, the, 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 the best insight I have is to start really, really small. You know, if, if exercising is something that you believe makes you feel better or you have some experience of doing it makes me feel better, then start really small. We have a tendency to be like, all right, I, I did this with meditation for years and years. I started meditating when I was like 18. That was a long time ago. And it wasn't till in my mid-40s that I became what I would consider a consistent regular meditator, week after week, month after month, year after year. 
it, there was a lot of stop and start in there. And my problem was, there were two main problems. One was I'd read a book. And so I, I get all inspired about how important meditation is. And I go, I'm going to do it again. And the book would say something like, well, ideally you meditate for 45 minutes a day. So, <laughs> well, that's really hard to do, particularly with like my mind. When I sit down and meditate, it's like the circus comes to town. Yeah. And so 45 minutes of that, I would gut it out for a few days. Oh, it was awful. And so I would just stop doing it. And then the other thing was I expected some sort of instantaneous results. You know, I expected that meditation would mean that my brain would quiet down and I would feel very peaceful. I'd hear these people say like, I just love to meditate. Yeah. Right. Like, am I enlightened now? <laughs> when I wasn't having that experience, I thought well, this isn't working. When I finally learned like, you know what, I'm going to start with five minutes of meditation a day or three minutes of meditation. Yeah. Little steps. I'm going to do it every day. That's the commitment I'm going to make. I'm going to do it every day. And you know what? I'm not going to judge what happened during that period. I'm not going to decide I'm a good meditator. I'm a bad meditator. My only measure of success is that I showed up and did it. Right. That you just, that you sat and you did it. Yep. When I did that, I suddenly became a regular meditator. And then I went from three minutes to four minutes to five minutes to 10 minutes. All these habits like that often work that way. Very small steps. Now, sometimes habits like drinking or drugs need a hard stop. Now, not everybody. There are lots of people who seem to be able to just sort of, they get things a little bit shifted around and their, their drinking falls into a normal place. But, but most people, if you've drank heavily or done drugs heavily, it's going to need to be more severe than that. It brings up a story. Right before I got sober that second time, I joined a program called Moderation Management. And it's a program that its basic premise makes sense. It says that the only real treatment we have in America for people who have a drinking problem is complete abstinence and not everybody needs that. And you can learn to moderate. And I thought, perfect. Like, that's what I want. Because I knew what happens if I don't, if I can't figure out how to moderate this, I'm going to have to go back to, <laughs> I'm going to have to go back to recovery and give up drinking altogether, which I did not want to do. So I threw myself into moderation management. I worked that program like there was no tomorrow. And the good part of that was I utterly failed. <laughs> it's very helpful for me now to look back and go, you know what? I really tried. Yeah. I really tried everything I could do. I mean, like I got help for this. I followed the program. It just was good for me. So I just sort of throw that in as, a, as an aside there as we talk about maybe, you know, needing to, to, to stop certain things, you know, cold turkey. If you're trying to build a new habit, it's really good to sort of start small have very low expectations and, and really focus on it feels really good to say, I'm going to do X and then do it. Right. There's it sure does. Influence to that. And, and so often it's important to pay attention to that. It's important because a lot, what, here's what a lot of us do. We go, all right, I'm going, I know I need to exercise. I should go to the gym for 90 minutes a day, but I've heard that that's too much. So I'll do 10 minutes a day. And so they do 10 minutes a day, but instead of feeling good about it, they listen to that part of their brain that's like, 10 minutes a day is not enough. You really need to do 90 minutes. You're never going to get anywhere with that, right? And so it's important, like that little, I took an action or I, I, I said I was going to do something, I did it. That, that internal congruence feels good. And to focus on that. And, and the thing about motivation, we always think that we get motivated, then we do something. But it can work the other way around. Sometimes we do something and that adds to and builds our motivation. 
Yeah, I I love that. I love the incremental steps. I love just allowing yourself to begin again, you know, as we're at the beginning of the new year with all of these, all of these uh, goals and plans and dreams and, and ideas that we have about what's, what's going to come to just, you know, for me, it was getting back on my yoga mat, which is now in my office on the floor in my face (laughs) to remind me that even if I just do four postures and some stretching, I've done more than I did the day before. That's right. And that feels good. And to not continually catch myself judging the experience to back up and say, Hey, wait a minute, you're on the mat and that's good enough. And keep coming back. You know, one of the, one of the things that we help people realize day in and day out is to eliminate caffeine. And so we'll get email after email saying, Oh my gosh, you know, it just didn't occur to me didn't occur to me how much caffeine I was putting in my body. And since I've let that go, and there's some pain that comes with letting that go if you do a whole lot of caffeine. But on the other side of that, their anxiety is knocked down significantly. And similarly, a lot of folks were not understanding how your body processes alcohol and and the detoxification process and how that causes anxiety as well. Right. And so just by bringing that forward and saying, hey, you know, if you're going to drink, that's fine. But be mindful not to drink too much and not to drink too late into the evening when so many people who are air quotes partiers. Right. Yep. Uh, and then all of a sudden, not only may you have a hangover, but you also might be going through this anxious, anxiety ridden phase when your body is processing the alcohol. Yep. So it's just, and then, but you have these little nuggets of aha, these haha moments, these things, oh, this feels better. In all of these years, since you really had your first moment of clarity to having it again years later and, and continuing to be sober now 13 years, what else besides your meditation and nutrition and exercise has kept you on track to feed that good wolf and that healthy part of your soul? I started the podcast because I felt like I needed more consistent reminders of how I wanted to live and what was important. I have a tendency left to my own devices. I just go on autopilot and my autopilot tends to drift to less than optimal places. And if I drift too far, you know, I think addiction is, is the, is the result, but even way before that, I just start to get very focused on things that ultimately aren't that important. I get so focused on money or how I look or how the people around me look or, you know, that's just kind of, and, and that's culturally where we're, we're led, right? Right. So, I mean, that's, and I'm susceptible to it. And so I started the podcast because I went, you know what? I just need a more consistent reminder. And I thought, you know what? If I have to interview somebody every week, I'll have to read their book every week. I'll be immersed in a thought space that feeds my good wolf, to use the analogy. I'll be immersed in a thought space that points me towards what's healthy and true and whole and real. That worked for me. And so for me, that's what a lot of it is. You know, you don't have to go start a podcast to do it. (laughs) I need those reminders consistently. Like it's just not enough for me to to just sort of go about life and assume that my internal compass will point me true north all the time. It yeah. Well, and you're not, and you're certainly not alone in that. I think 
I, I think it's human nature to think, okay, well, I've done it. I'm here. I've, you know, I've arrived, right? <laughs> and the trumpets begin and everything is great. And no, we need to keep, we need to keep at it. And I love that you chose to do so uh, with a podcast so that you could support yourself and invite other people in. They can also feel that support. And of course, giving uh, your guests that platform to reach many more people so that we can, you know, we're in this together to stay as healthy and positive and productive as we can while we're here. Right. Yeah, it was one of the best things I did. And my, my other real initial motivation was that my best friend is an audio engineer. And I thought, you know what, if we do this podcast together, we'll have to spend a lot more time together than we do. Because as an adult with a kid and a job, I mean, that, that spending time, that connecting with other people is harder to do. Yeah, and it is. I needed it. You know, I just knew I needed it. So I, well, I now think it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. But it was, but it was, it was some internal intuitive knowing that I needed more than I was getting. And if enough time, with enough time in recovery, I think I knew myself fairly well to go, okay, what are the things that matter? Okay, continually sort of re-inspiring myself or, or staying close to these ideas that are important, connecting with other people, trying to help others. Like I knew all those, part, all those things are part of recovery. And so when I, with the podcast, it just kind of all came together for me in, in a really good way. But again, you don't, it doesn't need to be that. You know, one of the things that I've done for years and years, and this has been really helpful to me, is I have a long list of things I do that are good for me. And by good for me, I mainly mean they make me feel better. Yeah. And so some of those are exercise, uh, eating right, meditation. But on that list are things like play guitar, spend time with friends, go out in nature, uh, read a book I like a random act of kindness, you know, do something for someone else. And so I sort of think of that list as like my a la carte list. But that list sort of gave me a, a guidance. And my goal was just to do some of the things on that list every day. Yeah, that's really, really sage advice for sure. One of, one of the, the exercises that I, I am constantly talking about, it seems, is a practice that I call joy spotting and just making note of anything no matter how small that brings you joy each day around the dinner table as as we were raising our daughter we would often share what did you find in your joy spotting today yeah i think that's a great practice and you know we see what we're looking for mm-hmm. and, and so that practice of looking for good things in life trains us we we actually it trains us to look for them right by, on all right, I need to write these down. We start to look. Yeah. You know, we, start to, we start to do it. Yeah. I mean, I often, you know, I think gratitude is really, really important. And it's Huge. one of the, but I think it, it, we have to be careful that it doesn't turn into this rote exercise that's every day. I'm, ha- I'm thankful for my family, my health, and my job, right? <laughs> Not that those aren't things to be thankful sure, for. Sure, sure. And they're worth remembering to be thankful for, but I really like the word appreciation. I use joy spotting. Um, You know, I use the word appreciation often. Like what are the things I appreciated today? Yeah. They could be really small, a cup of coffee or hearing a song I liked or, you know, whatever they are, but looking for that and, and making that fall into some of the things that fall into my gratitude list because I'm looking for them each day. They're happening that day. Right. Uh, Again, gratitude can turn into sort of a rote 
thing. It's it, there's so many studies that show it's powerful, but my experience has been also even for myself that sometimes it's just going through the motions. Yeah, and, so, and going for the and we want to go beyond the motions for sure. I mean, if you just take a breath and settle in and realize how much great and crushing beauty there is in this world alone, we'll bring you to your knees. We can't spend our days just regurgitating information that we think we need to regurgitate if it's not, you know, if it's surface, it's just not going to help. And, and I think it's important to say there are some times that you go through the motions because... Yes, of course. But it's really worth watching any practice that you're doing. Does it have life in it still? Yes. <laughs> what, what is the energy? Measure the energy and, and how it makes you feel. Does it make you feel lighter? Does it make you feel heavier? Does it make you feel anything at all? And so, you know, a gratitude list, having a practice of doing it, consistently means that it gets done and it's good. And there are some days that like, I don't feel much of it. I just do it. I keep coming back to it and then I can look for ways to, to breathe new life into it. So it's kind of this, you know, one of my favorite teachings of all time for all of this stuff is, you know, the Buddha's teaching of the middle way. Yeah. This idea that the extremes are tend to be where we get into trouble. Anything taken to extremes becomes a problem. You could look at a, a quality like courage and too little of it is a problem. You become a coward. Too much of it, you become a, a crazy risk taker. <laughs> yeah. Everything sort of does better, I think, when you sort of look into the middle of it. And so all this stuff that we're talking about, we've got to find our own version of these things. Right. And, and we've, got to, we've got to just sort of Except that, you know, some days this stuff really works. And it makes a lot of difference. Other days we do it. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't feel that way. But it's sort of the, the consistency of just sort of keeping at, you know, continuing to feed the good wolf in whatever ways work for you. Right. And, continuing to show up. As we uh, wrap our conversation today, Erica, is there a current uh, offering or event or something that you'd like to share with our listeners? My coaching program is what I'm... I'm you know, most excited by, and I just recently completed uh, a couple of videos. One's about a five-minute video, and the other's about a 40-minute video that really talks about how to make change in your life. And I think it really gives a lot of really useful tips that, that you can apply to your life right now. And, and also, it's an introduction to the coaching program. And that's at ericzimmer.coach. Fantastic. Eric, thanks so much for making time to share some of your life with Anxiety Slayer, your stories, your uh, wonderful story of transformation. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a great conversation. You're, you're good at this. Oh, thank you. That was Eric Zimmer from The One You Feed, featuring conversations with experts across many fields of study about how to create a life worth living. You can find Eric across all social media platforms, podcast players, and at theoneyoufeed.net and ericzimmer.coach. Thanks for listening to Anxiety Slayer. This episode is brought to you by the Anxiety Slayer First Responder Series, a supportive health anxiety course to help you feel better because worrying about your health can rob you of precious time and peace of mind. Learn more at anxietyslayer.com.